This episode of Keep Calm in Jiu-Jitsu is brought to you by Gracie Baja Hannibal, located at 210 Huck Finn Shopping Center, Hannibal, Missouri. For any information, please reach out to Coach Michael or Coach Jordan at 573-795-1282 or feel free to email info at gbhannibal.com. Hello everybody, this is Coach Rick and I'm here with Professor Bo and we're going to just ask a few questions today. We're aiming to be about 30 to 45 minutes and we just hope you enjoy. Professor, how are you doing today? Doing well, Coach. Thank you for setting up. This is uh, it's going to be an awesome way to kind of say get to know the students, but maybe more so for them to, to get to know me. Well, I know this is a question that I get all the time from new students, from students that should know by now, but it's just, <laughs> it's weird how like this is the number one. Uh, how old are you and where are you from? So I am 39 years old. Uh, I like to mix it up between growing a beard and shaving to keep that uh, always in question, right? I can, I can do the beard and people are like, oh man, that dude's old, look at it, look at all the gray. And then I'll clean shave and try to go back to the baby face just to keep them on their toes. But 39, and uh, I was actually born in Louisiana, Missouri, just south of here. And I spent some time growing up in Iowa a little bit over on the Kansas City side and then as uh, as my grandmother uh, started getting closer to her time uh, we moved to Owensville Missouri to be a little bit closer to them so uh, just south of here a couple hours now most of the people listening to this are gonna know but let's let's just assume that we have new people that have never heard of Gracie Ba Hannibal uh, do you have a wife do you have any kids yep I've got a wife uh, she's amazing she's pretty much like keeps it together she does her regular full-time job which is a lot uh, as a physician for HRMG and then uh, she's still pretty much I'm here teaching and she's running the house with the kids so I don't know how she does it but uh, pretty amazing but I've got a wife and I've got four kids I've got a son that's 10 and girls that are seven and uh, my youngest is four all right, now, um, mom and dad still with us? Do we have any brothers or sisters? Yep, got uh, mom and dad still with us, uh, and my dad continues to defy logic, but, uh, <laughs> but that's kind of his whole life, so I shouldn't be surprised at this time. But no, my, uh, both my parents still alive, uh, still doing well, and uh, I have a sister who's over in Jefferson City. All right, now, if you, have you inherited one trait from each family member? And if you have, could you name it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is something that uh, I think about a lot. I do, um, I do a lot of thinking and reflection on what, what things can I apply to my life? What things do I need? What things are going to help move and make me better? And during my time as a nurse, I'll just say this real quick and this will kind of help set the mindset, but during my time as a nurse, I understood really quickly that I wasn't the best at everything. And that's hard for a competitive person, but I wasn't the best at everything. But I did realize that as long as I took what someone else did better and I made it my own, I could improve myself uh, in a great way. And so I didn't have to be the best at everything. I just had to be smart enough to recognize when someone else did something better and then make it my own. And with my family, uh, I'll, I'll start with my sister. Uh, she is extremely resilient and, uh, and persistent. And those are two things that I've struggled with uh, as a business owner, as a father, as a person, I mean, in just so many ways. 
um, that her resilience and her being persistent has really taught me a lot in helping take control of things in my life that I need to be resilient and persistent about. So that definitely came uh, from my sister, uh, somewhat from my dad. Maybe that's where we came with those things. Uh, with my mom, uh, being patient, being, um, I don't want to say quiet, but letting things sort of play out and having more of a slow approach to things versus a knee-jerk reaction. And, uh, and then from my dad, um, maybe intensity is a good word. Uh, and it's kind of strange because if you know my dad, he seems very carefree, laid back, uh, but he was just a fiery guy when he needed to be. And, uh, well, he was a coach, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was a, a high-level football coach. So, Well, uh, he, uh, high school, high, high school? school coach, but um, very passionate about it. And uh, we, had this, uh, we had this thing. One time I was on the phone with somebody, and I said, uh, I said, I'll bet you right now I can go in every single room of our house and find something football-related. Like, my dad was just always drawing up plays and, and doing things. And uh, thankfully, he had left, like, one of his playbooks in the bathroom. And, nice. uh, and I won the bet. So, but he, he is intense when he needs to be intense, and I think that's probably helped me at times. What's a trait you've picked up from your wife? From my wife? Oh, man. Well, this, is, uh, this would be a total lie because I am still like trying to pick it up. Uh, but my wife is a great planner. She is amazing at having things planned out. Uh, she'll, she'll have a bag packed a week before a trip and I'll pack two hours before the flight <laughs> and so uh, she's just a great planner and when I do organize myself and I plan ahead things go so much smoother there's less headache uh, it gets done such like in such a way that it's so much more efficient efficient that I'm like man I should just plan all the time but that's not who I am and uh, I am still trying to pick that one up from her what traits are you trying to pass on to your children? Wow, pass on to children. Uh, it's kind of interesting because I have four and some of them possess traits that I love already and I want them to keep. And so like different kids have different parts that I'm trying <laughs> to manage or maybe even say manipulate. Um, I think for my girls, I want them to be able to be comfortable uh, with me that they feel they can talk to me about almost anything. I know they're not going to talk to me about everything, but almost anything. And I want them to have enough self-confidence that when they feel uncomfortable, they know to be very aware or to leave. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think if they can master those two things as women, then my concerns as a father would be very, very low. Uh, that I feel that they'd be very independent, self-sufficient women and uh and i wouldn't worry as much so them being able to be more self-aware more self-confident and then uh feeling comfortable that they can talk to me about almost anything uh would be would be what i'm trying to pass along to my girls for my boys uh i spent a lot of time talking to my son about integrity and responsibility uh from a leadership level from uh from a standpoint where I want for them to understand that what they do and what they say will define who they are. And we don't, we don't necessarily live in that world where um, you're going to get called out for what you say. Uh, you might get called out for what you say online, but then again it's online and there's no real 
thing that's going to back that up. And uh, unfortunately, what happens is that over time, your actions and your words will just expose you. And in the past, that might be a face-to-face -face meeting with the person you, mm -hmm. you said that to or about, and the repercussions were the repercussions. Uh, but now what I'm seeing is that um, it ends up with like loss of friends, loss of job, loss of family. Um, and it's easier to do. It's easier to not keep your word. It's easier to not uh, follow through on your actions because the way social media works and the way society works now, it doesn't, those repercussions don't hit you immediately. You don't get called out right away. But what ends up happening, because you don't get called out right away, they become habits and they become your life and then life calls you out and it's pretty harsh and so I don't want to I don't want my kids to be in that situation I don't want for my boys uh, to be responsible for their own family one day and then get called out by life mm -hmm. all right what was your first martial arts experience First martial arts experience would be when I was living in Ainsworth, Iowa, and I was attending a Taekwondo school in Washington, Iowa. And so that would be my, my first experience being uh, kindergarten, maybe, maybe a little bit younger, and starting with martial arts. So you started with Taekwondo. Where, where did you end up in Taekwondo? I finished... Uh, my Taekwondo experience around third or fourth grade and at that point I was into my black belts uh, with that. So you have a little bit of mixed experience with martial arts. Uh, how does Brazilian Jiu Jitsu differ from other traditional martial arts? I think probably the biggest difference that I have seen uh, from my limited personal experience as an elementary schooler but then also as being able to view martial arts as they've progressed is the concept of distance and where more martial arts re relate to striking, the ability to, to strike effectively against someone else. Uh, I feel that that puts you into a zone where they can also, the, the opponent can also reach you. Whereas jujitsu is saying, we either want to be all the way out of that area or we want to be so close that the strikes that are given are not efficient and that you can limit the damage. What other sports are you passionate about? Other sports I'm passionate about, uh, passionate about wrestling, uh, passionate about football, and uh, anything competitive. I, I still am bothered by uh, the U.S. men that uh, I think they either took third or just, mis just missed meddling and curling in the last Winter <laughs> Olympics. So if it's competitive, man, I'm, I'm passionate about it. Uh, unfortunately for my niece, I know she's like 16 now, and uh, we were in an airport when she was four or five playing Hungry Hungry Hippos, and I skunked her. I literally got every single ball on my side. And just because I'm so competitive and I understand like how next to impossible that should be for just slapping hippos and grabbing these little marbles, like I was like jumping up in the terminal, being like, I skunked her, I skunked her. And at the time realizing like a four or five, six year old girl who's like just in tears. Uh, <laughs> but man, I'm passionate about just about anything competitive. Can you tell me about your first uh, BJJ class? My first BJJ class, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I was training with American Top Team with uh, Dustin Dennis. He does chop jujitsu now. And uh, Wade Rome was running it. And uh, Kiko France, he's out in Phoenix now. And we were all in Columbia, Missouri, uh, training my first jujitsu class. Go in, uh, man, super nervous. It was uh, American Top Team school. And so you walk in, the big cage is there. There's guys hitting each other. Uh, they had the the metal they had the metal desk all the cool logos and you're like this is gonna get real real fast <laughs> and uh so super nervous and you kind of don't know where you fit in uh and then uh but you just get out there you start the workout and you're like oh okay this is this is like wrestling practice or or any of the other sports you've kind of done uh and i just remember um every time you'd make a mistake uh clean our professor uh dustin he, we called him clean and uh, he'd say, take your medicine. He's like, you're going to take your medicine. And it all had to do with like basically every mistake you made, you were going to get punished for it. Uh, and not punished physically like with push-ups or jumping jacks, but that the guy was going to take advantage of your mistake and it was going to be much harder for you to have success. And that was your medicine. And his, his thought behind it was the more medicine you take, the better you're going to get. So he always would sit on the wall and yell, take your medicine. And those are some of the things I remember from my, my first class. When was that class? I would have been back in uh, 2004. Right at the end of 2004, I would have been finishing college and starting my jiu-jitsu journey. What made you go in? Uh, I had spent the, the entire part of my previous life in the weight room uh, preparing for athletics and collegiate athletics and just lifting weights and running and I, and I was just tired. I, I was sick to even look at a gym with weights in it or to even like, if you showed me a flight of stairs, man, I was like, where's the elevator? I was just so tired of, of running and lifting that I wanted to find something I could do that I enjoyed but was not either of those two things. And when I came across jujitsu, I was like, man, I can be in a 10 by 10, square and have a great workout and love life and this is awesome can you tell me about your first jiu-jitsu tournament yeah first jiu-jitsu tournament uh man we can get into uh sandbagging real fast <laughs> <laughs> so uh first jiu-jitsu tournament that uh that i went to uh we were in michigan uh training with some of the guys training with uh jim birchfield's group and gracie baja burton and uh went to this tournament and get out there like hadn't been on the mats probably since high competitively since high school since 1999 and so now here we are it's like 2008 or 2009 so almost like 10 years later and uh, get out there and you get those feelings like man this is where this is where i do my work this feels like this is where i'm going to crush it today and i lose in the first round and uh and so go out and in the white belt division uh, fighting this guy and so we're white belts right brand new to jiu-jitsu supposedly guy pulls guard goes right to spider guard and I'm thinking like what in the world is this sorcery like <laughs> and we spend five minutes with me trying to get out of spider guard and there were a couple times he dumps me over but I don't let him get on top and so I come back and uh, and he wins off advantages and you basically walk off and you're like, well, that's some garbage. Like, I show up to my first white belt tournament and I got to fight this guy who's playing spider guard. And 
Uh, and then as time plays on, you realize like, oh, that's a pretty advanced game. But yeah, first tournament experience, uh, definitely went in with high hopes and definitely exited early uh, <laughs> with a long car ride home. So, so tournament prep, pre-black belt to post-black belt, what has changed? What stayed the same? Tournament prep, pre-black belt would have been... Uh, a ton of cardio, a ton of training, um, and then a ton of a ton of lifting, and just probably what is what has changed the the most would have been how often I do it. Uh, but pre-tournament prep was a lot of live training, a lot of uh, cardio specific to a lot of cardio specific to just being in shape being able to go 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 and that was pre-black belt pre-black belt now time now spent training uh, as I get older is the reality that uh, for me to be in peak physical condition for my age and what I feel I can do training wise or, or competitively what I want to do competitively which is win is I need about two to three months to get my body ready. And then typically after a big competition, you feel like a train wreck. So I need about two to three weeks to recover. So the reality is, is that uh, if I did this on a regular basis, uh, I need four months. So that kind of limits me to about three tournaments a year if I, if I wanted to do it the way I feel I could be the best. And what I would say is training-wise for me now, when I'm prepping for a tournament, uh, it is all centered around the things that I want to do. Uh, it's not just live training. It is more uh, position specific based because I know that there are positions that I'm great at and I know that there's positions I'm terrible at. So I spend a lot of time uh, in the positions that I'm terrible at, making sure I can get to where I'm great at. And so it's more about transitioning. How do I go from bad to good uh, and then go from good, which is the places I'm good at, to great. And so uh, that's where my training on the mats lies. And then cardio-wise, I do it in intervals. Um, I basically, I swim a bunch. Uh, so I have like uh, low impact on the bones and joints and my muscles. Uh, I swim a bunch for that basic cover of my cardio and then when it's really time when I'm getting closer and closer to competition I'll do like a rowing machine or even in the pool I'll train my pool my swims to the length of the match but it's uh, it's like a Tabata almost mm -hmm. um, where I'm I might swim uh, just to keep the movement going for about 20 seconds or 30 seconds and then I'm gonna hit it hard. I'm gonna swim really hard. So that way I can simulate the fight's going, it's happening. Not all of the fight is high intensity, but there's these short bursts where you've gotta go. Like the window opens and you better be ready to go and you gotta hit it. And I'm just trying to train my mind and my body and my cardio to be able to ramp it up and then keep it moving and then ramp it up and then keep it moving and just back and forth there. There's probably a good metaphor for treading water in there too. Probably so. <laughs> so probably yeah. somewhere deeper. Yeah. In there. So um, this is some inside baseball, but I have heard that 
four-stripe purple belt Bovemen was pretty mean. <laughs> Who wins in a five-minute match between black belt Bovemen and four-stripe purple belt Bovemen, and why and how? <laughs> okay, uh, that's, that's a pretty interesting setup there. Uh, if, we could, if we could say that black belt Bovemen doesn't know purple belt Bovemen, I might go with purple belt bovemen. Uh, if we if we give uh, black belt bovemen the the inside knowledge of his purple belt mistakes, uh, I think on the black belt side he would win. Uh, and this is um, and this might be a mind bender for some people. Is it is less to do with that I'm better now, or that I that my best moves would beat my purple belt best moves? It has more to do with I know all the mistakes I made at purple belt. <laughs> And so I would know how to expose those as a black belt, yes. and then I would probably crush the purple belt four-stripe bovemen. But, uh, but man, he was a mean dude. <laughs> uh, like, I just remember, I was thinking about this meeting coming up, and I was like, man, hopefully he doesn't ask me, like, when did you feel like the biggest jerk ever? And, uh, and it came out, we were in five grappling. Uh, I hadn't won a gold medal in a really long time at any tournament, through blue belt, like all the way through my purple belt. We were in Chicago. And this guy, it was a kind of a close match, but I had, I felt like I had control of it. And he tried to crawl out of bounds. And so I grabbed him with one hand and I yanked him back to the center of the mat. And, and I, and then I took his back and I did uh, a single wing choke and it was, it was pretty hard. <laughs> and it was one of those moments where like you had the gratitude of like, I just won the finals, but then you're like, I'm a terrible person, <laughs> so uh, there's that fine line that, that we have to find as a competitor and as an athlete, but also as a, as a martial artist. All right, Professor, what is your first memory of Professor Mike? My first memory of Professor Mike, uh, I had the opportunity when I moved back to Hannibal, I started driving down to O'Fallon to train at uh, Gracie Baja, uh, St. Louis, and it was located... Um, off of Bryan Road, so right there in O'Fallon at the time. And my first memory with him um, was you go in, and it's probably the, the same for every jiu-jitsu person. You go in, you see this guy, uh, you, you, he's fit, uh, and, he, and it looks like, uh, looks like he's going to be very like, hard-nosed and, and you're just in for like a full day of getting crushed. And got to train with him, and we got to talk afterwards, and just kind of everyone's normal jujitsu experience. Like, turns out, like, oh, he's a he's a real dude. He he can talk to me like a normal person, and uh, I felt I felt like he welcomed me, uh, just like every other Gracie Baja school I've had a chance to visit since then. But he he was welcoming and understanding and open, and uh, and just it was a great event uh, for my first class at Gracie Baja St. Louis. So how do you, as a black belt, approach new techniques? As a black belt, looking at new techniques, I think as a, as a colored belt and white belt, I was always looking at where did it get me? What was the end result? And now as a black belt, uh, there's two things. One, I'm looking to see where does it fit in my game? And then I categorize that as is this a position I'm going to develop and use in my game, or is this a position that I need to learn and understand for when I have to defend it in competition or on the mats? 
the other part of how I look at it is what is the concept? What, what is the mechanism of action? What's, what's at play here? And how is it making this technique work? Because uh, once I understand the concept, I have a much better idea of using that same concept to relate it to other positions versus just one technique resulting in one outcome. What is the most cringeworthy offense you see on the mats? Oh man, most cringeworthy offense on the mats. Hmm, man. There, there's a lot of stuff that happens uh, and most of it doesn't happen purposely. Uh, probably a dirty gee really is would be the most cringeworthy offense because at some point you've got to train with that person and then depending on the length of the round or if the, you get paired up with them for sparring uh, if you, when you get paired with that person that has a dirty gi it just your whole your whole training session you're just kind of like oh man so in your opinion what are the differences between the Gracie family schools you know this is a really interesting question and I have friends who train in other Gracie schools and it's really interesting as I watch social media and other Gracie schools as well as Gracie Baja what they're projecting and what they're doing and as much as it seems like there's a divide amongst the Gracie schools at the core we all seem to be teaching jiu-jitsu for self-defense and teaching jiu-jitsu to make it relatable back to uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and so uh, as much as I'd love to give that there's this difference uh, it's really it's really quite similar so it, it's a it's a conversation I have with uh, Cecil Birch out in Arizona when we get to get together and uh, and it has to do with that as much as other jiu-jitsu starts to exist and evolve and we see all these different factions and teams pop up that as much as the Gracies like to be differentiated from each other, they're closer now than they've ever been before based on how we teach and what we teach. What advice do you wish you would have gotten when you first started your jiu-jitsu journey? Advice I wish I would have had when I started uh, besides that it's going to be addictive and consume most of your, most of your thoughts and times and training, uh, advice that I would have wished that I had um, would have been to don't get too caught up in progression. Don't get too caught up in knowing everything to kind of break it down in smaller portions and absorb it. But at the same time, that's not quite how jujitsu works. Like we we don't really appreciate those things until we've experienced those. So as much as I'd love to have different advice before I started, um, I guess I wouldn't want to change my journey for where it's put me now. All right, one final question. In the current world, what does Gracie Baja mean to you? Current world, uh, Gracie Baja to me uh, is about changing communities and doing that through individual lives. Um, having them on a path with their jiu-jitsu that is not just teaching them Brazilian jiu-jitsu or jiu-jitsu itself um, but having those those actions and those lessons uh, 
move out into the physical world outside of the school walls and having that change their family life, having it change their community, their workplace uh, through jujitsu. And that's everything for today, folks. I appreciate you joining me. I want to thank Professor Bo for coming out and spending 45 minutes with me on this random Thursday. Uh, we're just trying to have a great time. We're trying to share our love of jujitsu. And we're trying to let you get to know us a little bit better. So, hope everybody enjoyed it. Next week will be Coach Michael. So, be thinking about questions for Coach Michael, folks. Again, Have a great day. Keep calm and jujitsu.